This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the 3D Pod. I'm Joris Peels. I'm the editor-in-chief of 3dprint.com, and we're here today with uh, Maxwell Vogue, who is from 3Doodler and, and one of the co-inventors of the, the 3D printing pen. And uh, 3D Pod is going to be a show where we talk freely about 3D printing and express our opinion and, and, and about the ins and outs of the industry, what's happening in 3D printing, what isn't happening in 3D printing. And today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, 3 doodler how did the 3d pen, printing pen get invented we're going to talk a little bit about 3d printing materials which one do we like which ones don't we like um which are some emerging materials that might be very exciting and uh and yeah just hopefully talk uh you know in a very very engaging and then hopefully uh, you know, relevant way for you to about 3d printing generally and uh, all express, uh, opinions expressed here are out and uh, we'd love for you guys to get involved so so if you want to suggest topics to us uh, feel free to do that Max, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Always happy to uh, join in and talk some 3D print shop. How, how did you how did you get into 3D printing in the first place? Uh, actually, we bought our first, the very first 3D printer I ever used was when I used to work for Wowie, which was a toy company in Hong Kong that we'd use for prototyping. And it was one of those massive Stratus machines that I think cost the company like twenty five or fifty thousand dollars US. And we had to spend several months convincing our bosses that this was a worthwhile investment. And then four years later, you know, it, it was like a thousand dollars for a desktop three D printer. But uh once we once I left Huawei, I actually started my own company with uh Peter Doworth, my co co founder. And uh, the very first thing that we bought as a company was a three D printer. And we got a an UPS printer back during the first uh, V1 of the UPS, which was great. And we were using it to make a robotic dinosaur for a company called Meccano. makes uh, erector sets. Mm -hmm. And we were 3D printing the leg of this robot when the printer did something that a lot of printers do, and it, it missed a layer. And it gave us two perfectly good parts, but they weren't connected. And my business partner, Peter Doworth, kind of went, man, I wish you could just reach over and take the nozzle head off the 3D printer and then use it to weld those two pieces together. You know, why can't you do that? We kind of shrugged and went, yeah, why can't you do that? It's a shame. And we smacked our heads and went, wait, why can't we do that? So we printed some parts out on the printer and we wrote 3Doodler on the side and we dismantled our 3D printer and then we used this kludge together thing um, to repair and weld together these two pieces for the robot leg. We went, that's, that's pretty cool. I wonder what else you could do with this thing. So we said, I bet you could draw in the air with it. And we proceeded to draw in the air with it. And we're like, oh, that, that's pretty cool too. And we're like, I wonder what else you could do with this. I bet you could like draw flat objects and then join them together. And that would actually be faster than 3D printing in some cases. And we're like, oh yeah, that works too. And then we're like, I wonder what else, you know what? Let's just make this, this is cool. Moving on, so we then prototyped it about six or seven times, six or seven iterations. Uh, and then we added uh, another partner, Daniel Cohen, and we then proceeded to put together a Kickstarter campaign in 2013 and then launched it in February 2013 to a rousing success of uh, 
26,000 pre-orders and $2.3 million in backing. And then we delivered it on time, which I'm always very proud of because not all Kickstarters work like that. And then we proceeded to bring it out to retail and to the educational world. And we've now sold over 2 million 3D pens. In fact, we have three pens now. The 3Doodler Start, which is for young kids. It uses a low-temp plastic. And then we have the 3Doodler Create Plus, which is our fifth generation. It can do uh, ABS, PLA, Flexi, and wood. And then our Pro Series, which you can set the temperature and speed. It can do wood, copper, bronze, nylon, polycarbonate, ABS, PLA, Flexi. What were some of the major like difficulties you had in, in developing the 3Doodler? So the three doodlers main problems. I mean, one, you're you're essentially taking an extruder head, and mm -hmm. trying to shrink it down into some kind of handheld format. Mm -hmm. um, the other issues is like you can't use a stepper motor in a handheld device and have it be cost compatible. Mm -hmm. So we had to use a DC motor instead, which are a lot less accurate. And so you have to do quite a lot of fine tuning and software development and stuff on on the inside of this thing in order to compensate around that and still have a good, even extrusion. Uh, also, you know, sourcing parts is a, a challenging thing. I, I was thinking about this yesterday. We've actually realized we've, we've probably built more hot ends than anybody else uh, in the 3D print industry because we've made so many extruder heads, which is essentially what the 3Doodler is, is a handheld extruder head. Um, but keeping that safe at the same time as a handheld device versus on a 3D printer where you have it, you have fans, you have all sorts of crazy stuff plugged in that you can use, um, which oftentimes I feel like aren't used, um, you know, is great. But it was difficult to, to do all that and then make it into a compact form, obviously. And if you have advice for somebody like who's also about to do like a hardware Kickstarter, I mean, a lot of those go wrong. Oh, man. On budget, on time, uh, you, know, you know, what's like your key advice things you'd have for people like that? Go work for someone else that mm -hmm. does hardware for like years, a couple of years there. Develop a couple of hardware projects with somebody else on somebody else's dime, and they mm -hmm. pay you to learn. Then mm -hmm. go do your hardware project. Oh, yeah. It's, it's surprising me how many people just think that the hardware thing, manufacturing in of itself, is just like a, a facile, like easy step to do. Yeah, we tend to think of it like almost like a, a copy machine. You go to China and it magically like copies things, or you go anywhere and it'll mm -hmm. the, a factory will just take the thing and then just magically copy it. But it's there's a lot of uh, work to do in between finishing a prototype and then bringing it to production. And I think it often gets lost. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. you, if you're not gonna take that route, then you need a partner of some kind that has some experience in that realm. And there are a number of companies out there that can even help you do that. Um, there's like Dragon Innovation, for example. Um, they're very nice guys and girls mm -hmm. who can help you do that. I What I would recommend if you're going to go that route is that you don't do a company that takes a percentage, that you do a company that just has a flat fee. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, you don't want to get tied up with this entity for forever. You just need a, a helping hand to get you introduced to factories. Yeah. And, and then uh, you know, more specific, more specific I see. Wait, sorry, can you say that again, what you just said? But you just need a helping hand to get you introduced to factories and to go through the sourcing process and kind of get used to this concept of how manufacturing works. I've also seen a lot of problems with mold making and, and people just assuming that everything uh, you know, works as a moldable design. And, 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 oh, yeah. You know, 
Under undercuts and overcuts are, are always an issue. Just because you can three D print something doesn't mean you can tool it and mold it mm -hmm, as a result. Mm -hmm. And also, what I've noticed on the on the on the OEM side is 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 when you're growing a three D printing company, the you know you have a partner that's okay for fifty a month or whatever, and that partner is going to be perfect for that volume. But if you go to like five hundred a month or let's say five thousand a month, then that same partner is not going to be able to handle it. And then you're too small for the larger partner uh, and too big uh, for, for the smaller one. That kind of uh, in-betweenness is, is also really uh, a pitfall, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's actually there's this um, this point where you know, if you're going to make 100 of something, it's small enough that you and your friends could actually sit down and do it. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to make 500 of something, you're in the mm -hmm. worst possible place because it's just too mm -hmm. big. For you to do mm -hmm. on a home assembly line or even a mm -hmm. temporary assembly, but it's too small to get mm -hmm. a factory even remotely interested in it because it's too much yeah. effort and time to set up a line and mm -hmm. to go through the training and stuff like that on an assembly mm -hmm. line. Do such a small number, so mm -hmm. you really need you know you you do one of these kickstarters or if you go out and try to fund a project, you you really need at least two thousand to to five thousand units to be sold. Mm -hmm. To justify yeah. the production of it. Yeah, I think a lot of these things. I mean, I think the best quote of one of these failed uh, Kickstarter hardware ones is like, "In retrospect, we should have had a somebody on board with manufacturing expertise." Which I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have that would have been a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't understand. I was like, really? Really? It's like this kind of like, if I have the vision, then then the you know the reality, we can make reality fall into place. You know, I think it's just kind of everyone thinks there's. Yeah, everyone kind of thinks there's Steve Jobs, you know. Yeah, yeah, they do have this. A lot of people get really caught up in that kind of feel, and they think that you know, if I have the passion and the drive, I'm going to make it happen. And oftentimes, yeah. you need some experience in there too, which is why I often tell people like, if you really want to do hardware, you should really consider working for someone in the hardware area that you're looking at before you go off and do it yourself because it'll or yeah. get or add an employee or a partner or someone who's got a, has experience in that realm because yeah it may seem yeah, simple it's not if it was easy everyone would yeah. do it right yeah, yeah totally i mean but i think uh, that's what i realized about this was just tico 3d thing uh the 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 at one point they're struggling with getting the product manufactured, right? Because, well, there's some serious design flaws in there, and they didn't test them. So they just went to market with the exact design as on CAD, and, uh, and they end up having lots of delays because of unanticipated delays. And when interviewing some of these people involved with this, all of a sudden they then decide that because they've gone through this process of trying to assemble several of these, they decide to then uh, start their own factory, uh, factory location in Hong Kong. And and they want to start their own factory, and I'm like, you know, I'm all for optimism, but it's just like, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> take a step back, you know? Yeah, I mean, starting a factory, especially in Hong Kong, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think you're missing something there. Oh, I think yeah, I think humility. I think it's a lot of like the guys that I've met who are founders of these hardware startups are usually quite humble, actually. Mm. Not all of them. Some of them are very very grandiose. Let's just. <laughs> It's, yeah, <laughs> that's, the that's, ones that get a lot of investment and convince people. Like, no, <laughs> we're not going to mention any names. No, but, no. but I mean, just generally, on, on the on the whole, I think that a lot of these guys are actually quite humble. I mean, I, I had a lot of interaction with Pirate in the early yeah. days. I don't know if you remember that printer. Yeah. But 
you know, yeah. it had a really big vision, and then they they reached the manufacturing stage, and it all fell apart. And yeah, they, they called and were like, "How do you do this?" And I'm like, "You know, you you've got to do it. You have to actually sit at the factory and like walk them through everything, and and you have to have some experience doing it." So, no, especially with a 3D printer, it's a really complex device. I mean, yeah. um, you've got the mechanic. Uh, of it, you've got software, you've got um, you know the, so that software interacting with firmware, and also the, the the design of the thing. I mean, it's it's a very multifaceted thing. Yeah, it's it's everything that can be difficult is is thrown into one thing because of the piece yeah. the, the yeah. software you have to have on the computer, the software you have to have on the device, as well as then the hardware itself, all the motors, the motor control. You're you're absolutely right that it's just it's a ton of work, and then on the 3D print printer side, it's everything combined into one thing and it's like yeah it's it's hard it's very hard um so it's mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that it happens so often but it's not surprising that uh there's a lot of fails on the, the ability to develop hardware hardware in general is is difficult i mean software has its own problems too but at least you can send out a patch to your software <laughs> you know, you uh, <laughs> uh, bankruptcy is your real life hardware patch you know uh, yeah <laughs> but did you did you find it daunting this whole like shipping the product and, and doing the Kickstarter and stuff, or did you just kind of roll into it kind of also? I mean, it was daunting, but since I'd had I'd brought fifteen products to market beforehand, so I'd had a significant amount of experience. Mind you, I had been at a company that had supported me, and there were a hundred and some odd employees at the time that I was employed for Wowee. So obviously, there was like a whole system set up. So the daunting part is that you have to set up that mm-hmm. entire system from scratch, you know, shipping and, mm-hmm. and order forms. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's not that hard. You just ship something. But, you know, mm-hmm. you have to get it from one country to another country. And mm-hmm. then from there, you have to send it out to all these individual people. I and mean, people mm-hmm. are often confuse, like, why is it so much easier to ship to, like, a Target or a, or a retailer? Mm-hmm. You're shipping, you know, 100,000 units or 10,000 units to one location. And then mm-hmm. their system takes over to distribute it out to the rest of their stores and stuff like that. So it makes it significantly easier than having to ship the same number of units to 10,000 people. Like mm-hmm. Stuff gets lost in the mail. Um, mm-hmm. so customer service and things of that nature all have to be mm-hmm. set up and thought through and processes have to be developed. And, and you know, it, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. Mm-hmm. It's actually the boring part of business that's business. And that's mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to do that. But I feel it's like boring the winds in the day. If you master these kind of things like mold design, tooling design, uh, shipping, logistics and stuff, that's the non-sexy stuff. But I think in mastering those things, especially in 3D printing now, is, is becoming like a really key differentiator. No, I, I think that's what's leading to the companies that are succeeding versus the companies that are failing. Yeah. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Those All those the boring Yeah. Because they're becoming real businesses now, and it's less of uh, some guy working out of his garage. And mm-hmm. yeah, when you're when you're doing a couple hundred printers a year, it's you can be a lot sloppier, so to speak, in the business terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're starting to do thousands of units a year, you can't afford yeah, sure. to, to be that. Mm-hmm. You have to be quite precise. So uh, you know, what kind of uh, 3D printing materials are you excited about, Max? Uh, so actually, I'm really excited about uh, wood filament. Uh, we have introduced a wood filament for the Create Plus pens and the Pro Pen that we sell for the Three Doodlers series, and uh, I really enjoy it because it's a great repair tool. 
and you can use it to fix cracks in your floorboards or sign your woodwork or chips in the banister or when you instead of using wood putty which is actually quite toxic you can use this wood filament which is essentially sawdust plus uh, PLA and you can sand mm -hmm. it and stain it um, which I think mm -hmm. is just an amazing usage for this material mm -hmm. yeah I'm I could see that maybe happening. I mean, and I can see maybe people using, but I just, I just I, I've never understood all the the excitement about wood fill. Generally, I've never I, gotten it. I, I think on a three D printer, it actually doesn't make that much sense because it's not like this is a a very strong material. Um, mm -hmm. You do have to layer it quite a number of times in order to mm -hmm. build a strength out of it, and I think. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do, I mean, it's wood, right? You shouldn't be doing precision stuff in wood. Um, yeah. But as a, as, an, as a floor fixer or as a, you know, some sort of, and you, wanna, you want a wood finish on something, I think it makes perfect sense in the 3Doodler. But I'm with you that I don't quite get it on the 3D print side of things. Um, it's also, I find it interesting that you can run it at a much lower temperature than what the design specs say. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I normally run wood filament at like 150. Uh, Celsius, yeah. which is on a well, on well your... below on the on the three doodler pro. Okay, okay. Because you can set the temperature and speed. So. And what other filaments are you excited about? Um, I really like uh, the PCL filament. Uh, I think it's a really safe and great filament. Uh, it's a low temp. Mm -hmm. We use a a, ver a variation on that for mm -hmm. our uh, start pen, and mm -hmm. I love the fact that it's compostable and it passes every safety standard under the sun and it doesn't produce any off gassing or anything like that. So I think it's mm -hmm. just a really amazing material in general. Yeah. I love it. Also, yeah, for the like, implanting in the body and drug loaded implants, uh, you know, it's bioabsorbable if it's certified, of course. And yeah, it's really, that, that's the PCL is my favorite material at the moment. Yeah. I, the, and there's an amazing number of things that could be conceptually done on the medical side with PCL, um, such mm -hmm. as you're saying, like those implants and things. You, you could treat them like bio stitches on the mm -hmm. inside of the body almost and, and mm -hmm. have them actually do structural support, so like support yeah. an artery that's failing or to do mm -hmm. something like that. And I'd love to see uh, Three Doodler enter the uh, the surgical field at some point, but uh, I think that's a, a number of years away given the the requirements for FDA approval. No, that's all. I think it's a really exciting idea to let, let surgeons add uh, add parts of the human body and, and uh, add things in there. And I think it's a really different paradigm to, to, to using a pen instead of like using a printer, which, which is going to be really difficult to, to, to print. You know, they have these contour buyer printers, but to, to print in the body is going to be really difficult. Maybe a pen is the best solution. Yeah, because you could get in there. And you could, you could have some really fine nozzles as well to do some of the more detailed work. Oh. What's, your, what's your least favorite filament? Uh, you know, there's generally PLA with a lot of uh, fillers in it or uh, any kind of PLA with a uh, you know a lot of processing aids in it uh, I really hate that I think it's a really <laughs> crappy way to to you know some of these things have uh, you know all sorts of materials added to them I think it's really bad from a human safety standpoint I think it's really bad from a uh, you know you, you shouldn't be looking as a, at a compounder as a compounder or as a filament producer you shouldn't be looking at you know what kind of additives can I put in the material to make my life easier and screw the customer it doesn't you know that so you know from those filaments I don't think there's a value add to almost any of them and 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 yeah so they're, they're not worth the money and and they're making things more difficult and easier you know no uh, I, I'd like I, it's interesting because because we uh, at three doodler have to go into retail um, mm -hmm. scenarios. We actually have to pass a lot more safety standards 
um, mm-hmm. than if you're just selling on like Amazon or something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. I've rejected a bunch of some of those materials you're talking about just because with the additives, because mm-hmm. the added cost of testing it and passing and whatnot, it's just it's such a hassle. And mm-hmm. they won't tell you half the time what's in there. And it's like, well, you have to yeah. This testing facility, because this testing facility needs to know what's in there, because they have to determine if it's harmful or not. So, yeah. um, but that just that just makes me, you know, if you put yourself as a, a processor ahead of the customer, I don't think that's a, a really good situation. Yeah. So for me, that that is, you know, probably the the, the least value add. I'm also not as crazy as everyone else is about PETG. Uh, you know. I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't really. Okay, it's shiny. I guess it's. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't really understand the the excitement about it. I mean, as much as everyone else is so excited about it, you know. Well, what's your least least favorite material then? Carbon fiber. Because. Yeah. Why? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Exactly. Exactly. Like, it doesn't you don't? Gain, I, I completely agree. Actually, gain strength or something. Like it's not really. You know, printing in, yeah. in carbon fiber just feels like the silliest thing ever because you, you know, the way it's yeah. really supposed to work is that you, you you have a layer of carbon fiber, you put down an epoxy yeah. resin, yeah. You, you shape it, and then you put down another layer of carbon fiber and another layer of epoxy resin and so forth and so on. And that's what gives carbon fiber strength is that you have this wo- wo- woven material that has an epoxy mm-hmm. on top of it and it makes it light and strong. Mm-hmm. But 3D printing in it is like, pointless because you're not gaining any of the structural support that you would have gained from from a traditional carbon fiber setup you're just mashed up the material basically and turned it into a filament Mm -hmm. and then you're printing it it's like this is so pointless uh not to mention that you then have like carbon fiber particles like floating around Uh, on the one hand i do think that a a reasonable carbon fiber fill can can lead to some performance improvements okay uh you know i mean for some parts Right, and uh, you know, you totally have to look at it if you're an aerospace person or something like that. Right. But if you're an aerospace person, at the same time, then I'm thinking, you know, you probably what you want to do is look at the natural fiber to look at the end of life, uh, you know, uh, thing, the end of life of your part, and how to recycle it and stuff like that. And then, so what bothers me also about carbon fiber is just that it's so difficult to recycle. Um, there's a lot of you know safety issues in the processing as well uh, as you as you touched on before. Um, so I, I don't like that about it as well. Uh, both of those things I don't like. And so for most pe- people, the 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 trouble, you know, either environmentally speaking, or in just general processing, it's just not worth it. I mean, the other one talking about cost-wise, uh, I have difficulty with, is uh, conductive filaments, just because yeah. they're very expensive, mm-hmm. and they barely work. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And everyone yeah. tells was me that they a have joke the next brand. Was that what? Was that a joke with somebody else's brand? Was that a joke with somebody else's brand name in it? Because no, <laughs> <laughs> we might have to remove that one. I don't know, but but okay, yeah. So why don't you like conductive filaments? I just I feel like conductive filaments don't live up to their promise, and they mm-hmm. they can't really do more than you know a couple hundred milliamps mm-hmm. of uh, and maybe five volts before they can burn up. So you can mm-hmm. barely do an LED. You sure as heck can't run like a DC motor or something like that. And that's that's the promise of it. That's what you want. You want to almost print a circuit, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. on your printer or with your pen and then mm-hmm. see if it works. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. 
Uh, no, that's that's one area I think a lot of these guys have, have over uh, and undercover. And, and the worrying thing on top of that, we were talking about safety earlier. Now, aramids are like the carbon fiber fi- fibers are not great, but uh, but you know the materials like the carbon black and then the nanoparticle that they're and the carbon nanotubes that they're using in these conductive filaments are actually they're potentially car- they're potential carcinogens. And we're talking about materials that a aren't conductive, as you stated, right? So they don't actually do what you want them to do. And right. b, if you if you uh, if you if you would take a material like that and breathe it in, it might get encapsulated in your lung. There's, there's research by National Institutes of Health and uh, other bodies and uh, OSHA and stuff like that on uh, and CDC and stuff like that coming out on this. Just generally research coming out on this, and and that's pointing to the fact that these small particles, these nanotubes, uh, carbon nanotubes, and things like that, could get encapsulated in your lung. That's what really worries me when we're doing something like that, and there's not a lot of um, well, there's no education there about like what you should do to to mitigate that kind of thing, and there's no nobody saying that that's you know, um, you know. Yeah, it's just it's just completely non-functional. A lot of this stuff at the moment is one. It, it's potential. It's a person potentially could. Uh, have carcinogenic uh, effects on the one hand and on the other hand uh, it doesn't work I mean that, yeah. that's, that's ridiculous it's, to me it's ridiculous yeah I mean I think there's the possibility and that one day someone will figure it out I do and they'll figure out a, a safe and reasonable way of doing it and when they do I'll oh. be the, the first one knocking at their door being like give it um, <laughs> but until I see that um, yeah. yeah no I, I totally agree I mean I think being able to make circuits and stuff uh, you know that's that's really exciting. Yeah, uh, it's very very exciting to me. There's some we're skeptical about. There's other materials that we believe at least is not living up to the hype or is not living up to the value proposition of the material. So what are materials that you think you know if you're thinking about what's your what are materials that you think you know are your dream materials going forward? Well, I mean we we talked about PCL, which I, I yeah. think is a great material, and mm-hmm. um, I I like you know plain. PLA without the additives. Um, I wish it wasn't made from corn or a consumable, like a mm-hmm. food consumable. And I wish it was more biodegradable, but at least it's like, it's closer to a sustainable kind of thing. Although I, I get that it's only industrially compostable, which there are not that many industrial compost facilities. I mean, I'd love to see a future material that is made from like corn husks or some sort yeah, of exactly. waste product. Uh, that we're just throwing it away anyways and that you can make a nice sustainable material out of it that you could then also chunk back up and, and reuse multiple times or re-extrude yeah. it. Uh, I think that, I mean, that's the dream, right? To, yeah. To totally. have like I mean, a think- filament maker next to your machine and when you're done with a part, you put it through the grinder and make new filament mm-hmm. and you're not you're not losing something. And I think a lot of people miss the fact that, you know, after you use virgin material, be it ABS or PLA or whatever, it does have a chemical change from the heat. And so oftentimes uh, there are a limited number of times that you can recycle it before it mm-hmm. starts breaking down and it's just not as good anymore. Yeah, it's not widely understood. I mean, no plastic is infinitely recyclable and all degrade uh, gradually as you go along, I think. I would agree. I mean, I think PLA is, is seen as some kind of panacea by people in our industry. But, you know, again, because of the additives, it may not be safe, even though it's made from corn, which is somehow like supposed to make everything safe. Uranium is also a natural material, right? It doesn't mean that that we should be super <laughs> pro uranium. uranium. <laughs> There's uranium in your sandwich, but it's a natural material. It's completely natural. Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean, yeah. oil is a natural material, right? It came from, <laughs> came from dinosaurs and plants. Yeah. So. And what's more natural than that? Right. Exactly. Uh, 
but uh, you know, so I think I think, and so I do have a little bit more problem with PLA than most people do. I mean, just because uh, you know, it does take about seven to eight liters to make a kilo of PLA, seven to eight liters of water. So that's not great. Um, and it's made from corn, which is a food material. So it competes with food. If we'd all switch to PLA, food would get more expensive, which in a lot of areas in the world would be uh, very problematic. Uh, if the increase in food prices would be catastrophic. Uh, so I don't think that's those PLA can't by in and of itself be the solution. Uh, and I do think, yeah, to me, the dream thing is is like a post-consumer recycled material. Yeah, uh, just like I would love to just like put my Coke bottles or put my, I don't know what, in 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 in, in like a recycling machine and get out my material infinitely. Uh, or at least, you know, imagine we could only with ABS we could do like something like six or seven cycles uh, in recycling. Imagine how long your stuff in your house would last if if you recycled every polymer stuff in your house, every polymer thing in your house, six or seven times. You get I a lot know. out of it, but though you do you do need to add the uh, virgin material yeah. with as as you're doing that. But it's yeah, we also understand that polymer a lot better because we've been working with it for 50 years or 70 years now, however long ABS mm-hmm. is. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas you know a lot of these new bio uh, polymers are are brand new. Um, from a polymer science standpoint or from material mm-hmm. science standpoint. So we're still trying to figure them out. I mean, I've seen, you know, papers and people who claim that they can pull carbon out of the air and, and get a mm-hmm. gas-like liquid or gas-like mm-hmm. substance and then turn it into plastic, which is also, mm-hmm. hey, that'd be great, right? Like, we've just, you know. Um, I look forward to, like, urban polymer mining. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Some people are gonna go into try landfill and just like like mine like ten meters deep to get the good bakelite or something. I don't know. In fifty seventy five years, like landfills yeah. become super yeah. valuable because people want to get the get the old materials that that aren't made anymore. Yeah, the old school. Go to go. Oh my god, a PC. Yeah. Right. You know this how much so- stuff I can get from this. Yeah. Right. Oh. You know how much cadmium is in one of these? Oh my god! All the cobalt or whatever, or yeah. gold. I, I can Sorry. I can make five new phones with this, like one thing. <laughs> although, although, yeah, I think I think I think actually, three D printing in like a water world type of world would actually be really good. We we would do really well, I think, if uh, the end of civilization would come about. I you, think. You, you uh, mean the people who knew how to three D print would would yeah, survive? Yeah, yeah. yeah. electricity. As long as there's electricity, but you know, solar, water power, wave power, all those things. All right, so I think uh, we had a really good uh, conversation, a lot of talk today about uh, you know the little bit of the, the beginnings of Three Doodler, and uh, we talked a bit about materials, about what's happening on materials, and, and what's been going on, what we're excited about, what we think is uh, is a bit overrated, a bit over, uh, yeah, over promised, under delivered a bit, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed that and. What do you think, uh, Max? Uh, we should discuss our next show. I, I think 3D printing in space, space, space would be a fun topic, as well as uh, maybe some bio printing and how the, that industry hopes to produce some organs that can help help the surgical industry as well, um, or the healthcare industry, I should say. So those are some good topics, but uh, who knows what we might find to talk about. Okay, cool. So if you have a suggestion for us, you want us to discuss a particular thing, you want to know something or ask us some questions, feel free to let us know in the comments. And uh, thanks a lot for listening to us, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you found this uh, very enjoyable, and I hope to see you next time. I hope hope for you to learn, listen to us next time. I hope for you to to listen to us next time, and I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, see you next time. Bye. 
You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.